Hi everyone, and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P.D. Spensky. Today we are discussing Chapter 17. This is Part 2. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast, and you'll also find additional information on our website, philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet, hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. So Pete, we're just starting the second uh, part of this chapter 17 and I'm going to do a little recap, but welcome. Hey, it's been great to come back. I, I've been looking forward to doing the second half of chapter 17. I mean, uh, I would have liked to have carried on last week, but <laughs> it's just too much. <laughs> so here, but here we are. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Yes. Well, let's get on to it then. Where Spensky's coming from is now is he's basically saying that we see these on, on a three-dimensional plane only. We just see that that something's uh, alive or dead or, or we can cut it in half or we can't cut it in half, etc., etc. But he's saying our consciousness is made up of other consciousnesses, like component parts, but our consciousness is also a component part of higher consciousnesses. Yeah, I hate that. Because anybody listening to it, no matter how well you try to explain it, will see parts and not a whole. You will never get to understand what this book is about when you when you use that language. I, I, I really do have an issue with with that use of language, not just by you, by anybody. If you're talking about this stuff, you, it, it's so difficult. Well, I think it's better explained by saying different functions on different planes. So it's the one, just like you were explaining before, where we are the one, but depending on the dimension we're in, we have different functions. So in the 3D, our function is a human being, but in the 4D or 5D, it, it will be something of a different function, but we're all the same thing. And and you being a different person to me, it's just that you have a function of being Peter Lancet and I have a function of being Alice Flanagan, potentially. Two separate um, rational consciences, or two two levels of psychic activity that are linked intrinsically. If you want an example of that, here's one. Ye old dinosaur Brontosaurus. Now, how they know this, I have no idea, but the, the posit is, and it always was when I was little, is that the Brontosaurus was so large that it had to have two brains one in its head to govern what happens in the front half of it, and one somewhere around the hips that, that manage the back end of it. Now, it has two ideas of consciousness in, in the idea of having two brains, two, two sets of functionality within the one mm -hmm. beast. There you go. So that's a, an example of how you can imagine that even if you you have what we perceive to be one object, there could be two separate things or more going on within it. Oh, the, the each brain is different. The function of the top brain is for the top half. Function of the bottom brain is for the bottom half. But it's half. all part of the same thing. Yeah. There is something in another uh, region of time and space in another dimension that has projected itself as a brontosaurus on Earth. So, in other words, it's already within its own projection of a brontosaurus split itself into two separate forms of consciousness because it's given itself two brains with two separate functions within the same projected thing. Yep, and both make up the whole mm. on the other plane. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is that what Espensky's saying? Yes, it is. I'm, only, I'm using an analogy that... That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, that keeps it the one. Okay, so now this is the bit that I start getting a bit fuzzy over. I'm going to read this. Therefore, we see in man quite clearly three consciousnesses. First, the consciousness of the body, which manifests itself in instincts and in the constant work of the body. Second, his personality, I, which and that's the letter I, which we know and by which we are conscious of ourselves. Third, the consciousness of all life, a greater and higher I. I don't like the fact he's used I twice because that just confuses me, but it's almost like your analogy with the uh, the, the brontosaurus. In fact, he's basically saying that, that you know, our body has a consciousness, 
our personality, which I'm not sure uh, what that actually is. Okay, each cell will have its own individual consciousness. This is the body. Yep. So actually, yep. um, the body consists of, you can, you can actually take it even lower and say that each cell, each atom, has its own consciousness, right? So we're looking at this. We are, we are again, if all you need to look at is a hierarchy. Mm. Does the atom understand the molecule? Does the molecule understand the cell? Does the cell understand the organ? Does the organ understand the body? Does the body understand the psyche? And then does our psyche, as it's functioning in the 3D world, understand the, the even higher form, the fourth dimension, fifth dimension, etc.? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So for us, we've got three, three separate types. Um, in our, in our, in in the part of us. See, I'm using the word part. In that, in that um, aspect of us, which which is projected into the third dimension, we can identify three aspects. So then he goes on to say, in addition to our own consciousness, to us unknown, with which we are indissolubly bound. We are surrounded by various other consciousnesses, which we do not know either. These consciousnesses we often feel. Their lives are composed of our lives. We enter into these consciousnesses as their component parts, just as into our consciousness enter different eyes. These consciousnesses are good or evil spirits, helping us precipitating evil. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but when you're reading that, doesn't it feel awkward to have to keep using the word consciousness? It sounds awkward. It's vile. The way that it's retranslated, it's so much easier to understand. And it doesn't, it doesn't sound airy-fairy and looking down conscious. I, I've started hating the word since we've been doing this work. I can't, yeah, I actually yeah. cannot use that word in anything now at all. Um, you know, he, he's, the translation here is so much easier to read. It doesn't sound sniffy and superior. And, and it, is, it uses a language that's understandable. Can I? Can I? Because I, I was going to ask you, what the hell does that mean? Because yeah, especially the bit about helping us precipitating evil, like what the? So please read yours, because I'm, I'm 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 with you there. It's, well, I'll, I'm just going to start from the bit. Um, I can't remember where you just started. Then was it in addition, in addition to, our, to our, our own consciousness? Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Let me go. In addition to our own psychic lives, with which we are indissolubly bound, but which we do not know, we are surrounded by various other psychic lives, which we do not know either. These lives we often feel they are composed of our lives. We enter into these lives as their component parts, just as into our life, into different other lives. These lives are good or evil spirits helping us or precipitating evil, family, clan, nation, race, or any other aggregate to which we belong. Now, when you stop saying consciousness and you talk about... Oh, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You can then see what he's talking about. We have we have our bodily life, and then we have our yep. thoughts, our, you know, mm -hmm. our psychic life, and, and we, we see them as components of ourselves, and then we see our whole self as a human being consisting of mind and body, and then we get spiritual because we start seeing ourselves as part of a family, then a clan, then a nation, and then the whole race of and human beings. And, and, it, and, and it could go out beyond. So if you... You can see, to me, the book is so much better for the editing that was done in the version that I, I ended up with than the original. I can imagine that it, it was so much easier to read. Well, I'm finding that yeah. now. Part of, the, part of what I'm enjoying, actually, uh, about these um, recordings that we do and these discussions we have is seeing the difference in this. It was irritating when it first happened, but now I'm starting to enjoy it because I can see the purpose behind why they've done it. He's done a great job because when I read that originally, yeah. I went, what is he saying? I could tell there was some thread in there, but it was hard to yeah. put it. When, he, when you reread what he's changed it to, I know I know what you're saying exactly, and I agree. And because, you know, this, this using this, um, different eyes. Did he use that word in yours? Because I don't remember when you read it. I didn't remember hearing it. No. Different eyes. Well, well no, the eyes came up uh, came up earlier when he was saying we may assume in man three psychic lives. There's the psychic life. Oh yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. In instincts, and then the constantly changing eye, which we know 
and in which we are conscious of ourselves, and the third, the consciousness of all life, and a greater and higher I. In other words, the higher self, rather than higher I, and you would have got it, because that's a more, yeah, that's a more modern phrase, the higher self, rather than the higher I. I'd love to just um, carry on with that little thing Please that I do. read, just simply because when he mentions this idea of family, clan, nation, race, this is explaining everything. We are aware of ourselves as being part of a family, usually, most people. I know, I know we have this alienated souls now. Ooh, I hate my family and I've got no friends. Well, you know, great, get psychiatric help. But um, usually, <laughs> most, most people will identify. And it doesn't matter whether this is the modern world or primitive societies, they will identify with their immediate family. They will know their mother, their father, their brothers and sisters and so on within within the tribe i.e the clan so you've got your family then you've got your little little clan your tribe now they will understand naturally understand the zeitgeist the the spirit of the family this is what our family does at christmas this is our family tradition mm -hmm. it might be different than yours but this is what we do and this is what makes us who we are this is how we are as a family We've always been brought up to help people. You've always been brought up to be selfish and just do things for yourself and be responsible for yourself. Families, they will understand subtle differences in families. They'll understand that they have a spiritual connection to their family. Within that, the clan, which by which we would probably call a nation state now. Mm. For example, Australia has its own culture, very similar to the Irish in that respect, by the way. Others... Um, have a different cultural understanding and identity of themselves and so on italians for example are not like germans they're just not and even we as outsiders can see that italians yeah. would be offended yeah. if you describe if you said that they were being like germans they they would be offended not because they hate germans but because that dolce vita really isn't something that we signify as being part of the german psyche and makeup ruthless efficiency fabulous engineering and so on and rationality and and logic efficiency this is what we see in the german yes we don't see that with the italians we see la dolce vita and so on and and with the spanish you know hasta mañana until tomorrow you know it'll do we have a siesta in the afternoon all of this sort of thing we're all diff we all recognize these differences and yet and yet we usually recognize that we're all part of something bigger that connects us, the human race, and so on. So mm -hmm. while we, 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 and we feel the spirit of that, we, feel, we do feel the spirit of that, that as a, even as humans, whether we are acting as a, as a human race, wisely or stupidly with relation to the planet or with, with you know, um, you know, a lot of people would say we're just humans are destroying the planets. You know, we should take more care of the planet and the environment and so on. Rightly or wrongly, I'm not going to get into that argument here, but we do understand a racial spirit, a species level spirit of what it means to be human and the responsibilities that we should have and the, the wrongs that we are doing, the little spirit devils that he talked about earlier on. Um, we understand yes. that. At a national level, we understand that the Swiss are uber-efficient and that the Italians and the Spanish and some of the Latins think that enjoying life is much more important than being efficient and so on. We, we recognize those differences. Within each one of those clans, families will understand that they have slightly different traditions and so on. Can you, can you understand this now? We do yeah. have this aspect of identifying spiritual and psychic life the the psychic life of a nation it's it's what gives that nation its cultural identity and we identify with that usually you know you'd identify with australian culture yeah and that that culture itself is a psychic life yeah it has it has that life of its own earlier on really early in the chapters spensky talked about different dimensions and he talked about fourth dimension and fifth dimension and, and you went, you know, race up, sort of race clan or whatever, you know, up up the levels mm -hmm. of of dimensions you, you grouped 
the humanity uh, into and it's kind of coming out here again. Well, I think that this makes a lot more sense because this is a great 3D analogy of something that's even greater because we are mm. on this, we do identify on this unknowable, numinous psychic level with our family, clan, nation, and, and, then, and then race. Yeah, and even within that, it talks about, well, you know, the church within a, a race or within a clan, you know, you've got your, your spiritual beliefs and that's that in itself is an mm -hmm. entity, you know. That's right. And, and it does have its own life. It does. It does. Have, it does. Yeah, it, has its, it has a psychic life of its own. We are the, all part of the one. It's just what function we, is intersecting for this third dimension that yeah, we're, we're playing that role. I'll just, I'll just throw something uh, a, a small in there and suggest that for something like the church, you know, a, a, a religion, to have the psychic life of its own, we are the creators of it. We are creative entities. We are all, everything is a creative entity. We're here to create as well. So when enough of us create um, that religion and, and buy into it, we add, we add to the dimension of that religion and we add to its spirituality and it becomes an entity in its own right. But we've created it. That's been our function here. It won't go away either. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think um, earlier on, Spensky talked about things becoming beings. Well, they do. You give life to everything. Yeah, so we kind of create a soul to something like a church, and then it becomes a being in its own right, an entity with its the own. Christi the Christian church wouldn't, wouldn't accept that, but yeah, that is the truth. <laughs> well, they wouldn't, would they? <laughs> no, that's but that, but it, but it makes an interesting concept too. If, if any of these um, hierarchies believe that they're the be all and end all, they're the ones that are running the show then you have to look at it and say, no, no, you're just a component. And, you know, we, we are creating. We are creating the ebb and flow of all these things as, as we function as part of the whole. We, we create these things. So nothing can be the be-all and end-all. It's just grouped into something else, which is then grouped into something else as well. So, uh, but let's, let's move on to Adam <laughs> Cadmon. <laughs> so in my book it says, a nation, a people, is a living being. Humanity hey, yeah. is a living being also. Now that's, that's what we've just said. That's exactly what we've just said, that they each, you know, a, a family, a, a clan, a tribe, a nation, and he, the human race itself, they each have their own living psychic experience. Soul. Yeah, you know, yeah, soul. Yeah, well, let's, let's use soul. I like that. I, I think it solves any awkwardness when it comes to describing this psychic, rational consciousness, blah, soul will do. Soul will so, do yeah. for me too. So the, so the soul of the human race, there has to be a pattern from which that emerges. Because despite all of the differences in function and soul, you know, the soul of the Italians and the Germans are different. We've just meant, you know, as, as I keep mentioning, um, but mostly we're the same, aren't we? We can look at the lower levels, the functionality of the lower levels, and say, hang on, but Germans are still, they still look like Italians from, if you saw a silhouette of a German, you didn't see that it was blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and a silhouette of an Italian of similar stature, you would not know that there was a German and an Italian there. It's it's something with two arms, two legs, a head, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, there is, so there has to be a model from which these variants come. Cookie cutter. Pretty much. And this is the Adam Cadmon. So something, something celestial and and on a higher dimension altogether has had this creative idea that I'm going to project myself in a lower in a lower level, and I'm going to have an experience as this thing. And we, we, it probably doesn't, but we will call it human. I'm going. I'm going to have this. This. I'm going to project a human. What What does that even mean? The human then becomes the the model from which loads of humans can have this interactive experience. Not just in this dimension, by the way, but in others, higher, lower, whichever you want to call it. So we have this, we have this, for something to be considered human, it has to have emanated from the cookie cutter of the Adam Kadmon. That, that has to have been the starting point. So the Adam Kadmon, right? You stamp out the cookie cutter thing and you've got it there. But then 
some psychic activity goes on, some consciousness goes on and says, oh, I'm going to make this one brown. I'm going to make this one yellow. I'm going to put, I'm going to put blue eyes on this one and I'm going to put green eyes on that one or brown eyes on that one. Some, that's when we, we get separated into clans, tribes and so on. But the first aspect of, of conception is that you're a human being. When a fetus is first identifiably, you know, a, a creature, what is this? If it's five, six, seven weeks, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not a, a physiologist of that. But when you can take one out of a human being, guess what? They're the same bloody color. No, nothing, nothing has been formulated that says it's brown or yellow or whatever at that point. There is a point at which it that decision hasn't been physiologically made. Mm. So some, you know, you can, you can use that as an example of, we start off as the cookie cutter formula and then genetics, the genetics of the, the family that it's going to be born into ha have their role to play. So the family genetics come in as the child, you know, as the child is reaching birth or maybe even after birth, that's when the cultural programming of the clan takes over from the family even you know these these are the things that are happening it's an it's an imp but when we start with an imprint from the adam cadmon the the universal androgene the first draft yes yeah so this is what Aspensky says just for the listeners this is the grand man adam cadmon of the cabalists adam cadmon is a being living in men uniting in himself the lives of all men so it's exactly what you said it's the um you know, uh, Adam Cadmon, this is humanity or humankind, Homo sapiens. That's right. It's that's that's the formula of humanity. That's that is yeah. the blueprint for humanity. We've all got to have this, but beyond this, we can have different skin pigments, different eye colours. We can be tall, short. We can, you know, we can be all kinds of things. We the cultural thing comes later. Yeah, and that seems to me like it comes to all these subgroups like clan, etc., etc., have their own soul, and with that they may well have their own sort of version of the cookie, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. the cookie cutter. Well, you know, here's my we, version. All, yeah, we'll stamp this all, lot out. <laughs> but it all starts, yeah. But it all starts with the one that they all have in yes. common, and that's yes, and that's the exactly Adam right. Cadmon. So, so the interesting thing in that last statement that uh, Spensky writes in my book, he says, um, well, I'll just reread it, Adam, Adam Cadmon, this is humanity or humankind, Homo sapiens. And then he says, the sphinx, i.e. the being with the body of an animal and the face of a superman. What does mm. he mean by that? Okay, um, because we are, it, 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 it's the plasticity. It's the idea that we came, we come from one thing and we represent various forms of that one thing in, in existence. He isn't very, um, I think using the Sphinx here as an example, he'll know exactly, because he's talking about Kabbalah, he will know what, a, what the Sphinx represents. Um, I think it's a bit naughty putting it here because it doesn't explain it, but it's the plasticity of creation. It's the idea that, yes, we do have um, a model from which we can make things. That always There's a model for everything, by the way. There is a model of an oak tree. You know, there's always mm. this, this androgene that's, that's neither male nor female. By the way, those are, you know, gender are, are things that come after. You know, you start off with the cookie cutter. And I mean, even in, in humanity, um, the first fetus, it hasn't, you know, there, we don't know, we don't see the gender forming until later in the, in the fetus. It's, it's, um, hermaphroditic to start with. So yes, something, yes. so, so something makes the decision, oh, are you, you, you're going to be male or you're going to be female. We don't need to go into the discussion of, of which consciousness or what or where, but we, all we need to know is that every human being starts off completely androgynous and completely and only has the attributes of being a human being from the species level everything else comes later at a lower level of of functionality this idea of the sphinx the sphinx represents something that can be it's a life form that can be multiple things in other words it can be whatever it chooses to be there's much more to it in magic uh, than that well i'm not going to go through through the magical aspect of it um, he, it's what he writes late following that statement that's interesting. Entering as a component part into a different, great, 
and little lives, man himself consists of an innumerable number of great and little eyes. And that's from the at at atomic, molecular, physical, mental, psychic, conscious. Each, each individual man or woman has all of those components that all then come together to make the family, the, the tribe, the clan, the nation, the race. Can you see how it's a never-ending series of hierarchies? It's, this is the Russian doll syndrome. You can keep taking dolls out and go lower and lower and yes. lower and lower. But they all have the stamp of, of a human. They all have the, the stamp of human in them. The Adam Cadmon is at every level. It's in every molecule. It's in every atom. It's your blueprint. It's it's the original. Yep, that's the one. Because if there was an original drawing, which it would be of a horse, for example, it this you know one, you yeah. know that you've got a horse, even though it might come in different shapes and sizes as well. But it's it's mm -hmm. different to a human master yep, plan. Yep, it, it uh, surely is. I was like the uh, cartoon of Gary Larson and. Uh, He's got God, God making creatures, and he's got um, he's just rolling like plasticine. He's saying God making snakes, and he says these ones are easy because <laughs> <laughs> it's just it just rolls rolls the, the snake and it's plasticine. <laughs> that is pretty cool. I like Gary Larson. I do too. <laughs> I do too. So yeah, so this is this is getting super interesting. So um, so I wonder where. Uh, different experiences when he talks about the many little eyes um, making up the, the human. He, he basically goes on to say that the human being is traditionally divided into three categories, body, soul and spirit, and each of those, I suppose, have a whole bunch of components in it. Well, um, you can say that, but I, I don't like it. I, pre I, much, I much prefer the modern term mind, body and spirit. I like mind rather than soul because so many people, and I'm one of them, would say your soul and your spirit are the same thing. And I, I, I will. Mind is a mental thing, yeah. a mental process of thoughts and rationality and getting things right or wrong and so on. Mental activity I don't see as being your soul. Mental activity. Yeah, no, I. Mental activity yeah, I is so restricted in what in in what it does for us. Um, you know, the brain and the conscious mind rather than the unconscious. I speak as a hypnotist here, which is why the, the idea of, of mind is better than soul. soul. Soul has infinite potential. The mind is very limited in what it can do for us at the conscious level at any rate. Anyway, just that's just a, 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 much, a much... Look, he's not wrong. I'm just saying that in the modern world, it's, it's much better to, to, to separate them out. Because people will then start having the debate. Well, what's the difference between a soul and spirit then? And then we then we end up with religious fundamentalist nutcases getting involved in in the in the argument, and we don't go anywhere with a discussion. Mind, body, spirit. Let's separate them out. Or mind, body, soul. Because spirit and soul. That I'm not I'm not blaming Aspensky for this because it's just that we've moved on in the way that we use these words, and the understanding of these words. In the modern world, it's not the same. So mind, body, and spirit. Remember, he was he was writing before the advent of psychology and psychiatry. You know, yes. the idea of differentiating differentiating mind and soul and things was a difficult thing to do. Um, but now we do. Everybody knows intrinsically, you know, that there is some something called psychology. Some people even understand that that's not the same as psychiatry, and some people will understand that the mind. And thoughts are not the same as a spirit and, and, and the spiritual nature. So, yeah, mind, body, spirit is fine for me. I've actually written that in the notes in the side of my book. Oh, um, I see. Yes, I see. That section, yeah. Well, Aspensky himself says that he doesn't like this division. This, this He's saying this is the convention. Yeah. You know, division. He doesn't like it. He said, uh, in addition to this, confusion enters in by reason of the opposition of the body, and I'll replace the word soul with mind, and spirit, which are recognised in this case as inimical principles. This is entirely erroneous also because the body is an expression of the soul and the soul of the spirit. So if we put mind in there instead of soul, does that still make sense? Yeah, it does, because the mind is, uh, is where we actually create things from. You know, mm. um, we talk about... 
um, manifesting your your own perfect life, you know, your own stunning life, and so on. Mm-hmm. Manifesting our circumstances and and everything else. Everything begins with an idea. Everything yep. begins with an idea. Yep. Everything, bar none, begins with an idea. So that's the mind. Yep. So he's he's basically saying it's erroneous that that we split these, and he is yep. suggesting, Spinsky is suggesting that these these three um, categ- subcategories are first of all the con- the subconscious, which is where our um, instincts consciousness of organs in the body so that's the subconscious level like you know our organs mm-hmm. function on a subconscious level we don't make our heart beat we don't make our lungs work they just do that on a subconscious level then the he's saying the next one is the clear conscious that's perceptions of the world so that's how we perceive our three-dimensional space and then the higher consciousness that's our intuits um the region of the soul and spirit Okay, well, have you got in your version something different? I've got something that says, thus a human being contains in itself the following three categories. Do you have that? Well, he says... First, second, third? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what I was paraphrasing. Uh, Yeah, right, because that I really liked, you know, the body... Because I've got, with that paragraph that you just read out, I've written notes, I don't agree with this definition of soul, and I will call it mind. Because that's what caught me off. But but in in the next bit, when he says, first, the body, the region of instincts and the inner instinctive consciousness of the different organs, parts of the body and the entire organism. The second, which he says the soul consists, and this is why I'm going to tell you I think it's mind, (laughs) not soul, because it consists of sensations, perceptions, conceptions, thoughts, emotions and desires. That's the mind to me. Yep. Now, then, my book says something differently, but anyway, but we'll get oh, to that. Oh, great. What's your third? The, and then the third, the region of the unknown, consciousness, will, and the the one I. In other words, the higher self connected to something greater. Those things which in ordinary man are in potentiality only. Do you know what? I think we'll, we'll use yours as an example. Now, I just talked about, he's talking about the first being the subconscious region, the second being the clear consciousness, and the third being higher consciousness, and that's what I just paraphrased. But let's see what yours says. Do you, would you mind doing a bit the of first, Okay, let's do the first then. Mm-hmm. The first the first is the region of instincts, the inner instinctive consciousness of the different organs, parts of the body, and the entire organism. This is what I'm I would call the subconscious. So although the subconscious has a greater functionality than that, that we do know, that we understand now, but it is responsible I mean you know that you don't have to consciously tell yourself to oh I'd better breathe in. Exactly right. Hang on, I'd better breathe out because yeah. Because you certainly wouldn't be able to function as a human being if you had to think about every breath you were going to take and every That's time right. you needed and every time you needed your heartbeat. Oh, hang on, I'd better regulate my body temperature now as well. Jesus, it's getting a bit warm. In you know, if we had to do all of that, that's the that's the function of the unconscious or the subconscious mind, right? Yeah, even driving. If you had to focus every time, oh, that's how do I do this? One. You've got to throw it into the subconscious to do it automatically for you. So that's where the first part is, this, this idea yeah. of the organism and the instinctive things that happen that we don't have to think about. The second, then, is the soul, which I'm going to call the mind. And mm-hmm. he says and he in my book, he says, <laughs> yeah, well, whereas, oh, right, whereas in my book he's called the soul, and he says it consists of sensations, perceptions, yep. conceptions, thoughts, emotions, and desires. And he says here in mine, in addition to that, either conscious or unconscious at any given moment, but which may become conscious. He adds that extra bit. Yeah, but he's right in a way. Uh, I can understand why he took it out, because people would start confusing these three separate things up. Let's, for example, an emotion you can have without even, without it having any effects, you know. Yeah. Whereas if it's something that hurts, if something happens that's emotionally painful, believe me, it then enters your thoughts. It then your thoughts are your awareness is given to it. It becomes part yes. of your thought process. Whereas, you know, there are lots of things that we, we the sen- like sensations, particularly um, the sensation of the air temperature. If it isn't extremely hot or extremely cold, believe me, you don't notice it. Room temperature. That's right. You, yeah. you don't you don't notice room temperature. 
if it's you know in, in the normal ambient sense of the world if you're sitting at home comfortably watching tv uh, and it's not excessively cold and it's not excessively hot you don't notice the temperature unless something or someone draws your attention to it somebody might say oh isn't it nice in here today the temperature is ever so good yesterday it was freezing and suddenly you realize that it's a nice temperature unless that happens yeah you know it's instinctive isn't it so so that so one. we'll call that so the mind have... so the second is the mind yeah. I, I, I will agree with that yes yeah and, and, then, and then the, the third, third the he's called it in my book the region of the unknown yeah see i think he's called it here the higher consciousness which i'm happy to accept as higher consciousness the, I'm, I'm, um, a, I'm i'm quite happy to accept that too uh higher consciousness i think would have been nice he is right though for most people they're unaware of it they're not not only yeah. have they made no attempts to connect with it they would po possibly even deny it even if you told them about it they go oh that's yeah. just that mumbo jumbo hocus pocus you know witchcraft and magic and stuff but you know, there, but there is this region of the unknown will where does will where See, does he doesn't your, even mention will here will is the driving force to creation it is the thing that it is the thing that inspires in the other aspects of us the the first two aspects a desire so for example um, the desire uses will and will uses desire to get things done to make things happen this is why the will has been important certainly in 20th century political philosophy um i know i know we've been there before but we're going to come back to the nazi party that used a force that they called vril v-r-i-l vril um if you come back to other magical systems uh, you might want to look up um, a term called telema t-h-e-l-e-m-a telema um, same the same force an easier word which has now been moved over to have a different meaning in the modern world is libido um, the libido is this will this creative force and it is the it is the, the it's not necessarily the source but it's the first thing that's created in a, when you want to get things done we could go into the Kabbalah and start looking at this but um, I'm not going to here but this this idea of vril thelema will I mean the will the idea of will was incredibly important to um, political movements like the Nazis but not just them people that understood it and they could actually make it move in an entire nation of people they could access it in other words at a level beyond the individual humans human being level but at the nation the national level you could get a nation to do incredible things. That's interesting. And where do you, where does that sit? That sits in the first, second, or third. It's must sit third. in the second, mustn't it? Third. No, it sits in the third. This is this is this is something that comes from the unknown. It's the impetus. So, for example, you possibly, and people listening possibly, if you're if you have any interest, even the slightest, in the modern new age sort of world and philosophy, you'll hear people talking about what's my soul's purpose what's my purpose in this life what am i here for what's what's my true purpose well your true purpose would have been um, something that was created before you were born when you were at the level of consciousness before you projected yourself into having this 3d human experience your your higher self your soul level existence within the great and collective would have had the 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 desire to have certain experiences here on earth your happiness as in your human existence will depend largely upon whether or not you're achieving the purpose that you chose to come down here to experience or whether you're fighting against it and not achieving it you get this yeah that makes sense yep the will is something very high very high that has the idea of what the purpose of this human experience is going to be why do i want to, why do i want to project myself into the third dimension in that in that area of 3d space 
and become a human being and have the experience of a human being. It'd be much easier to be an oak tree, wouldn't it? But the, it, somehow it's made the decision to have the human experience at this point, and here we are. It's the will that is the impetus. Now, once you're here having the human experience, that will, that, that soul is still there, present, as, as the basis of the, the human that you, that's having the experience, and it will constantly be trying to express into the lower expressions, the body, the mind, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And if you will go along, if you'll listen to me, if you will hear my voice, we will get that to happen and you are going to have the most amazing experience, the one that you've chosen. That, that nails it. I know exactly what you're saying there and I agree with you 100% because I know in, in my life when things have just fallen into place, They've been easy. That's that's when I've been the happiest because it's 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 you know when I start fighting against stuff and I you know try and push in a different direction or whatever, that's that's when I feel like uh, it's almost like you know I'm not meant to, I'm not meant to, to be doing this or having this and I think that's the thing yeah. that, that I wouldn't intuitively know what my purpose here on on this planet is but I intuitively know the path to take. Yeah, and that's probably it. That's where intuition, with intuition is the language of the will trying to mm. tell you at, at, at these lower levels what it is it's supposed to be doing. So is will another word for this higher consciousness? Is that is that what you're saying? Rather than for the higher consciousness itself, will is an aspect of the higher self. Will is the way that the higher self gets things done. In fact, I would say that will is a tool of the higher self. It is the tool with which it gets gets the higher self's um, desire done. Yeah, Spensky, I think, talked about this in the last chapter when he talked about the warring, you know, the, the warring yeah, consciousnesses. Yeah, he did. And then, then right. the ultimate one at the top of the pyramid, they're, they're the one directing the show, and that's why, you know, some will get their way and others won't, but it's, they think it's their own... Uh, their own making but in fact it's they're just part of the of the big plan shall we say that that is unbeknown to them it takes us on to stuff that i thought was incredibly fascinating in this chapter it really does mm, so, so let's go to that yeah you know when he's saying like typically the average man you know is the extremely misty focus of his consciousness is confined to the psyche perpetually going from one object to the other when he says psyche there he means the mind you know mind body spirit he yes. means the mind we, yeah. ooh, should i should i read that newspaper oh i'd like to watch that television program i'd like I, i'd like to oh I, I suppose i should read that letter that came this morning that i thought was i a feel book. like snack uh, yeah i feel like yeah those sort of things we're thinking these things all the time uh, without touching on whether or not that serves our true will and true purpose. Mm -hmm. Always. Only rarely does it touch regions which give access to the religious, aesthetic and moral emotions and to the higher intellect, which expresses itself in abstract thinking, united with the moral and aesthetic sense, i.e. the sense of the necessity of the coordination of thought, feeling, word and action. I think that that last bit, thought, feeling, word and action, boom. That is the thing. If you're following your true purpose, the will will bring all of those together. Instinct and intuition are the language of the will trying to get you to bring these things together to do the right thing for you. Yes. The right thing. And by the way, the right thing for you won't always be the right thing for somebody else. At all levels, by the way, national and racial. So that thought comes from that higher consciousness, mm. potentially, um, and then you register it as a feeling. Yeah, something stimulates you to have the thought, and the feeling that comes from that is, yeah, let's let's do it, or oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but then your word and action is is what manifests in this three three dimensional experience. Like, the, but the four have to be. In, in alignment let's use um let's use modern language to well language to express this in, in a way that makes it easily understandable regret is the memory of when you acted against your 
own true will. No, 100%, yes. That's what regret is. Regret is when you look back on something that you should have done or shouldn't have done. And regret is your true will, your higher self saying, yes, you've had the experience. Next time you have an instinctive thought, follow it. Don't rationalize Mm. it with the mind. Listen to something higher, the soul, the spirit, the will. The will is the expression of the higher self. So listen to that instinct. Oh, I should never have bought those shares. They've bankrupted me. Well, can't you remember all the time thinking that if you did buy them, that was a possibility, but your rational mind said everybody else is buying them and I don't want to be left behind. And And my greed tells me that I want to make millions and millions of dollars. But your instinct said no. That's not for you. But, you know, that's, that's an interesting point you make, though. We get caught up in a mass hysteria, which is ne- not necessarily our true path, shall we say. When you get a gut feel, then the, then the thinking takes over the top of it. Thinking, the thinking is what uh, tarnishes the purity of that thought. I doubt, I doubt that there's a human being, certainly in the Western world, you know, what I call the, our, our world, the Western world, I doubt whether there's a human being that hasn't, had a regret that i know that people say oh i've got no regrets they're liars most people will have will most people will have done something in their life whether tri- trivial or major where they wish they hadn't done it most people will i don't believe anybody that tells me that they've never had a regret this oh i've got no regrets you might be able to accept the consequences of something but the idea that you you don't have regrets, I think, is a lie. I, oh, I do. Absolutely. I, I'm absolutely certain that everybody can point to something that they did that 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 does come into their mind every now and again, uh, and remind them that they had a feeling that it wasn't going to be right, but they did it anyway, and it wasn't. My second marriage is testament to that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Boom! I had the feeling, and I ignored it. And look where it got me. <laughs> yeah, Two gorgeous kids, I might add, but, you know, as for the... Yeah, rest. but that'll learn you. That'll learn I'm going to read some, some words of Aspensky on this whole subject. He says, I wish, and that's in italics, these words playing the most important role in the life of man usually refer not at all to every side of his being simultaneously, but merely to one small and insignificant facet, which at the given moment holds the form of consciousness and subjects to itself all the rest, until in its turn is forced out by another equally insignificant facet. So that's our, oh, I want that car, oh, I want um, to eat out tonight. It's like this continual distraction of, uh, insignificant stuff that we we hone our consciousness into, and I wish I had this, and I wish I had that, which is distracting us from the intuitive ah, flow. You see, a wish, a wish is not the same as true desire. True desire comes from the higher self, the soul, and and is subject to the will impelling us to do something or to take a, diff- a certain direction or think or think in a certain way. Um, I have countless examples in my business life of that and when i say countless i am a hypnotist and what i what i do with people that come to me that say that they want to stop smoking is i subject them to a very rigorous rigorous investigation of whether or not they really want to because they wish a lot of people wish they could stop smoking but they don't really want to because they enjoy smoking they enjoy it so mm-hmm. much that it they to the point where Oh, I've heard all the stories. My wife wants me to quit. My kids want me to quit. I'll save a lot of money. Um, the doctor says I should quit. You know, the doctor will tell you to quit smoking if you went there with a bad finger, by the way. Um, they, that's just automatic with them. Um, but the, you know, I, I really reduce it down to, yeah, but do you want to stop smoking? What, me stop smoking? No, I really enjoy it then go away and come back when you want to. I have to find out whether it's just a wish or a desire because where where a mere wish, i.e. something in the, the conscious mind, in, the, in the, the region of thoughts, where a mere wish comes into conflict with an internal uh, desire, um, the internal desire wins every time. 
every time without fail and i will be wasting my time and their money so i turn them away people have to prove people have to convince me that they really want to stop smoking when they do i've got to tell you my success rate is phenomenal uh, but i'm not having people you know come in here wasting my time and their money when literally it's not their true desire at that moment you may ask why would someone's true desire not be something as helpful as stopping smoking for a million and one reasons well their true desire at that moment might be to enjoy that particular experience without caring about the, the negative consequences of smoking are only negative in the conscious perception and i think when you have a wish it's backed up by a whole plethora of reasons why. This is, you know, oh, I need to quit smoking because it's good for my health to do so. And the I say, well, there's a plethora of reasons. But desire, when I have desire, it's like that's what I want to do. And I have no reason to give you. Yeah, don't that's have to what do. I want yeah, to do. That's it. And that's it. You just know it. You just know that that's yeah. what you want to do. That's right. That is when you get things done. Because a desire yeah, is a very, very strong force. A desire is a come hell or high water, that's what I want. And it might be something material like I want that four-wheel drive. You might have a strong desire to have that four-wheel drive for no apparent reason whatsoever. Like you don't ever go four-wheel driving, for example. But, you know, it's a desire and you will get the four-wheel drive with the desire. I wish I had a four-wheel drive oh, because I could uh, mount the gutter without you know, damaging the wheels or yeah, whatever. That gets you nowhere, That's you know. Uh, yeah. And um, I think this is what Aspensky's talking about here is this we are so distracted by their wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, and we're not being driven because we're not hearing that no. desire coming through because we have to, we're so used to explaining to ourselves why. Forget the why. That's it. And the why is the the second part, not the third part. The third part's the yes. biggest and most powerful and important. The why is the second part. Why is a terrible word. Okay, Pete. Well, look, I'm going to leave it there and uh, we'll continue this next week. Thanks so much for for having this conversation again with me this week. I've, I've enjoyed. Yeah, me too. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, we're certainly covering some ground here. So thanks again and thanks everyone else for listening.